are back. You know, when I talked about Nixon's legacy and the 55-mile-an-hour speed limit, the space shuttle, William Rehnquist, I neglected to mention probably his most uh, lasting legacy, the Bush dynasty. George Herbert Walker Bush had run for Senate in Texas twice and lost twice. The only elected office he ever managed to, to get a hold of was in a... Uh, a reapportioned to be a totally safe Republican seat in Houston to which he managed to be a two-term congressman. It was Nixon who appointed him as uh, ambassador to the UN. It was with Nixon's help he became Republican National Committee chair during Watergate. Under Jerry Ford, he became um, the envoy to China and then CIA director. Nixon was looking for a young, telegenic, fresh face and he focused in on the elder Bush. He had served in the Senate with Prescott Bush, uh, the current president's grandfather, and thought rather highly of the Connecticut senator. He thought considerably less well of, uh, of, uh, of George Herbert Walker. I just finished Kelly, Kitty Kelly's excellent book, The Family, The Real Story of the Bush Dynasty. And uh, we are going to do our level best to bring Kitty Kelly to this program. This is really, a, a, really an excellent book, and I, I can't recommend it highly enough to anyone out there listening. I only want to cite two quotes from it at present. One was that when Richard Nixon was asked about, uh, about George Herbert Walker Bush, he said, oh, total lightweight, the kind of a guy you appoint to stuff. And although it wasn't mentioned in the book, I do know that toward the end of his life, uh, during the Bush uh, presidency, uh, Nixon was asked about the man whose career he had fostered, and he said, uh, well, you know what the difference between uh, George Bush and John Gotti is? People would say, pause and say no. He'd say, well, at least Gotti's got a conviction. The other item I wanted to mention from Kitty Kelly's book was the fact that uh, these faith-based charities, which the Bush administration has been so fond of supporting, um, I didn't realize this until I read the book, no money in regards to faith-based charities have gone to anything other than Christian or Jewish schools. That's right. No money for Islam, no money for Buddhism, no money for Hinduism, no money for anything other than Christian and Jewish programs. Uh, well, as long as I'm on this topic, I can't resist also going back to note from, uh, from Kitty Kelly's book, uh, What Happened in the Republican Convention in 1980. Reagan did not want George Bush on the ticket. Uh, he wanted Paul Laxalt, the senator from Nevada, at his running mate, but his campaign strategist objected so strongly that uh, Reagan finally gave in, uh, put the call through. It was noted that it went down as follows. He conferred with his pollster, and the consensus was Bush. Reagan called Stuart Spencer. You still feel the same way about Bush? Yeah, nothing's changed. Reagan grimaced and nodded toward the phone. The call was placed to Bush's suite where Jim Baker answered and soon enough, George Bush accepted. George jumped at the offer. <laughs> According to Reagan, who noted in his memoir, he didn't have a moment's hesitation. We would note that Jim Baker was instrumental in putting uh, uh, George Herbert Walker Bush on the Reagan-Bush ticket and that uh, Jim Baker later was, of course, Secretary of State under the first Bush presidency. Uh, James Baker was also, not coincidentally, the man who on election night 2000 came forward to spearhead the Republican effort to get George Walker Bush into the White House. Uh, at present, Jim Baker, last we heard, was defending the Iraqi government against lawsuits by Americans 
taken prisoner and tortured during the first Gulf War, trying to win an award from the Iraqi government. The current position is that, well, the Iraqi government really shouldn't be paying out money for that sort of thing. They're kind of stuck for cash. So defending them is James Baker. You know, no, we, we really shouldn't get, you know, completely carried away with our political bashing on this show of going after Republicans. Uh, we would note that report labeling the 13 most corrupt in Congress that we cited on last week's show did have some uh, Democratic names on it. We would cite in particular California's own Maxine Waters. The report cited a de- December 2004 Los Angeles Times investigation, which disclosed that uh, Uh, Many members of the Congresswoman's family have made more than a million dollars in the past eight years by doing business with companies, candidates, and causes that Waters has helped. And here's an item we're not sure where to to categorize in terms of Democrat versus Republican, but it's a fact that Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger vetoed last week two of the most high-profile bills which came to him. One of them rejected a measure to make gay marriage legal. The other was one that would have raised the minimum wage by $1. As far as this gay marriage legislation, which was Assembly Bill 849, after some emotional debates in the Senate and Assembly, it was passed and sent to the governor. Um, I I just, I I am puzzled by this. Apparently there are those in the Democratic Party who have a death wish. I don't, I don't know what's, what is like, well, what is clearer about the 2004 election than the fact that gay marriage turned out Christian evangelists by the busload. Uh, people were mobilizing in the wake of, of election 2000 to make sure Democrats got registered, etc. We talked about this in this show. I mean, this is not news to any of you listeners, I'm sure. But uh, what shocked a lot of people was how the backlash came forward from the hinterlands of the red states to vote in droves largely because of the issue of gay marriage. When Arnold Schwarzenegger was running for governor, he said he thought gay marriage was legitimate. He thought this uh, was something that, you know, in his experience, of course, in bodybuilding, there's quite a large gay contingent. I don't think that's a secret to anyone, is it? Um, The governor is a Hollywood person. There are many people uh, who are gay who are in the Hollywood scene. He has a very positive attitude about it. And I must say that, you know, in an odd sort of way, his vetoing this bill is doing more for moderates of the political persuasion in this country, certainly, than passage of it would. If this bill had, had, been, had been passed by his signature, there would be challenges in the court, and this would galvanize the opposition all across this country that seeks to get a constitutional amendment to ban gay marriage. You know, our, our, our legislators have better things to do, hopefully, than that, but uh, you can bet in the red states. If uh, such a bill does get passed in California, there's going to be a huge backlash. I, I've, I've puzzled over this. I, this is, to me, this is like going down to the junkyard with a big stick and banging on the fence and then acting surprised when the large dog comes lunging out and tries to bite you. Uh, we're not taking a stand on this show uh, you know, against gay marriage. We're not saying that we're for it. We're not saying we're against it. All we're saying is it's political suicide. And, and what seems clear about it is that most Americans uh, favor uh, granting rights to people to have, uh, you know, to designate someone who could visit them in the hospital, that could get an insurance policy, that uh, people have a very uh, broad-minded attitude about this across the country. It's when you introduce the word marriage, things change. From my personal standpoint, I'd like to thank Governor Schwarzenegger for vetoing that 
bill. And we want to inject at this point critically that the opinions you hear expressed on this program belong to its host alone. They do not represent those of KDVS, its staff, or UC Davis. But, uh, you know, we've argued on this show before that if Gavin Newsom had not gone to bat uh, for uh, people getting married on the steps of City Hall, they handed Karl Rove a photo op that, you know, that just he was salivating over. Here's an item that uh, shouldn't have been in the paper. Apparently, uh, the St. Vincent Medical Center in Los Angeles noted uh, that one of its um, organ transplantation uh, cases went to a Saudi national who apparently went from 52nd place on the list to number one. The program has suspended its liver uh, transplanting operations after discovering that uh, there was this rather uh, pronounced um, uh, uh, line jumping. This matter is raising all kinds of medical uh, um, ethical issues as well it should. It does seem that the Saudi uh, uh, certain elements of um, um, Saudi society seem to have undue influence here in America. On the other hand, uh, maybe they need a little bit more. It was noted in the International Herald uh, two weeks ago that Prince Saud al-Faisal, the Saudi foreign minister, said he's been warning the Bush administration in recent days that Iraq is hurtling toward disintegration, a development that he said could drag the entire region into war. There is no dynamic now pulling the nation together, he said in a meeting with reporters. All the dynamics are pulling the country apart. Faisal said he's carried this message to everyone who will listen within the Bush administration. The prince's message was in stark contrast to the generally upbeat assessments that the White House and Pentagon have been offering in recent weeks. I don't know whether any of you caught uh, Meet the Press a few days back uh, when uh, Tim Russert was interviewing a general was confidently noting that uh, the the Iraqization of the war, I guess that's a term I'm making up, is going well. Iraqis are being armed, they're being trained, and uh, by God, as soon as they can get the job done, we're going to turn things over to them and we're going to get out. Which just reminded me in such a sad way of, of turning the clock back a couple of decades to the Vietnam era. This is exactly, exactly the kind of thing they were saying in Vietnam, of course, when we did pull out, uh, Vietnam unfortunately promptly imploded. The argument was always made then, as it is made now, that we can't just pull out. We all the sacrifice to date would be uh, would be been for naught. But in the end, it it went for naught anyway. In the case of Vietnam, uh, Vietnam went to the communist government, something we tried to prevent for decades. What will happen in Iraq is still quite unclear, but uh, the precedent of history does not, uh, does not bode well. We would also note, uh, when I was watching this in my local grocers, that, uh, that it was pointed out to me that I'd missed a statement made by a general that um, there had been no preparation of Iraqi forces as of June 2004. The proprietors thought this was kind of funny since uh, the president had given a speech in May 2004, in which he said that 40,000 Iraqis had now been armed and trained by the U.S. What uh, he thought was odd was that uh, nobody was calling the administration on this, and we thought it was odd too, so, so we're calling them on it. We have so many items that we're going to just make brief mention of today and try and spend a little more time on in the future. Uh, as of today, the Senate, in a rebuke to the Bush administration, uh, pushed forward with limits on how detainees are treated. 
Perhaps you heard this morning how uh, John McCain was complaining that our, our soldiers are not being given proper guidelines and then being blamed for what happens. It is interesting to note that it was uh, Harriet Myers acting as President Bush's counsel who was one of the people uh, involved in expanding executive authority. She and Alberto Gonzalez backed Bush's authority to hold terrorist suspects without trial, as well as the White House right to withhold more administration documents from public disclosure. It's interesting that so far it's the conservatives that have been griping about uh, uh, Ms. Myers, although uh, one of her longtime semi-romantic friends, a judge in Texas, has come forward to say, oh, she's definitely anti-abortion. We must also talk about the fact that uh, President Bush sees the military as having a role if avian flu hits. He plans to quarantine large sections of the American populace if uh, that's where the flu should strike first. Yeah, we should definitely talk about how we've got uh, the National Guard in Iraq, not in New Orleans, and the military in New Orleans, and now apparently the military in every community in America to enforce a quarantine. Yeah, stay tuned for that discussion. We want to talk about uh, the Nobel Prizes they're handing out, especially as regards to the Helicobacter pylori issue. Uh, We definitely want to talk about that. We want to talk about Tom DeLay being indicted now for money laundering, not just conspiracy. We want to talk about spies in the Bush administration passing information to Israel, another one passing information to the Philippines. And we definitely want to talk about Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes being expecting. No, no, not the latter. But anyway, we do want to talk about the rest of that stuff. We don't have time, so we'll get to it in the weeks to come. We also have to talk about the fact that through an unbelievable bit of biological sleuthing, they have reconstructed the 1918 killer flu. And yes, it too was a strain of avian influenza. We're going to probably devote an entire show to the matter of, uh, of uh, bird flu, uh, probably about three weeks from the today. Joining me now in the program is one of my uh, fellow, well, let's see, I, I can't, I'm not a DJ, so he's not a fellow DJ, a fellow KDVS host, Rick Ely. Welcome to Radio Parallax, Rick. Hi, thanks. So you are a DJ. I am. I've been here for 11 years, DJing. Well, I, I wanted to talk to you about uh, this course, which I didn't know that that you did or anyone did, on musicology, which apparently you give and others provide for people who are new to the art of being a DJ at KDVS. Yeah, we do it every Wednesday. This quarter, it's actually going to meet in Wellman 1. I guess it begins in about five weeks. It's it's actually the last four to five weeks of a 10 to 11-week course where we familiarize DJs with um, rules regarding you know, FCC programming, regulations, obscenity, indecency, other codes of conduct, and history of KDVS, principles of free form. So um, the last four or five weeks, however, are about, are about the music, um, so much of the music that we play. And we basically begin with talking about traditions of uh, African music and U- European music coming together, um, particularly in the, um, the slave, uh, slave plantations of the South. And uh, we, we figure that's kind of like for 95% of the music that you hear, um, that's kind of, that's like the uh, common ancestor 
So we start there and try to fill in the last 200 plus years <laughs> within about 10, 10 hours of lecturing. I really, I find that quite interesting. That's the, a topic worthy of a university course. And you guys are just, just throwing that together for the KDVS staff? I guess it was something we thought we could do for the, uh, maybe an experimental college course, something yeah. like that. But it's not even uh, anything that you have to enroll in at all. In fact, um, listeners, anyone who's curious is welcome to even drop by at Wellman 1 Wednesdays at 8 o'clock. Um, the beginning of the course, um, it's still four or five weeks before we get to any kind of music um, training, but uh, November, or rather October 12th is the first day of that, of those meetings. Well, I'm sure a lot of listeners are going to want to take advantage of that offer. Yeah, it's uh, just drop in like you're auditing the course. Okay. So you're, you're back in like the Stephen Foster era of, of early American music, I take it. Yeah, even uh, perhaps even before that. And we try to trace the, um, try to fill in a few of the, um, the gaps of, in people's knowledge. Um, I think most people who are, maybe if they study music um, when, they're in, when they're in college or if they've just had the exposure to music theory from having participated in band in high school or something like that, often the... Um, you're just completely indoctrinated into like the Western tonal hierarchy. You know the basically A B C D E F G sharps and flats. You've got basically 21 sounds there, and then there's about five octaves, maybe six octaves that anyone uses, right? Or maybe eight that are audible to the human ear. So it seems like rather arbitrary that only about 150 to 160 sounds should be the rules by which you must make music. And um, for a lot of people that are new to us, um, maybe haven't listened too much to freeform or non-commercial radio, um, the idea of um, a station that mixes music from surf guitar instrumentals to free noise to hard bop jazz to free jazz to uh, black metal, all kinds of different um, styles of music that kind of boggle the mind. Um, yeah. We, we try to show relationships between all of it um, and all of the sounds that you hear in nature and the environment, um, it, that it all, it all um, meshes together. And uh, um, hopefully, maybe, maybe we're not trying to change people's tastes in their music and their preferences, but at least learn how to respect um, and how to more critically listen to all the music that's out there. Well, it sounds like a, it sounds like such a worthy course. You think about putting it on video? We we did try doing that, but it was I guess I wasn't really happy with the um, with the quality uh -huh. of the, of, uh, of the film. So it was sort of it sounds like you're you know a hand cam and you're in a big room. Right, so. <laughs> right, right. And we just started this last um, academic quarter over summer quarter. We we um, had a room with with all the audiovisual technology and we were able to actually play the music that we were talking about before it was just so much lecturing I right would, right it was mostly me and then I would have um, I try to get some guests that were more knowledgeable than me about maybe like early American music or jazz um, since my strong points are certainly like anything that's rock oriented from the 50s till now um, I try to get other people that have knowledge about you know maybe Next time, hopefully, I have someone who's an expert in hip-hop to really explain um, in more detail um, some of the um, finer points of hip-hop. But 
it's just something that we do because I think that, you know, the quality that KDVS puts on is really, I think, miraculous given that it's um, all student-run. Right. Management is changing year to year. Um, there's very little con- continuity within management. And there's even still just a few DJs that are like me or, or like Todd Yurick that have been around for more than a couple years. Yeah. So it's... Um, <laughs> Davis, if I may say so, KDVS is, is legendary for its eclectic selection for, for the populace out there. Yeah, it is. Um, you can Google us and find us everywhere. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, Rick, what, when is your show? Uh, mine is on Mondays from midnight till 2 a.m. In the name of it? Art for Spastics. <laughs> well, you're clearly going to be our go-to guy when we, need, when we have questions on, um, on the history of music. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I guess I answer about 20 emails a day from, from my listeners or people when I post to message boards and groups about, about KDVS and the music that we play. I handle a lot, of, a lot of those questions. I enjoy geeking out about music. <laughs> well, Rick Ely, we thank you for talking with us. I, hopefully this will not be your, uh, your last appearance on our show. Sure, I hope, I hope not. I, I really enjoy your show too, Doug. Thanks. All right, thank you. All right, bye-bye. Bye. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax on KDVS 90.3 FM. Let's take a short break. Okay.